This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And Jesus said in John 10 and 10, I am come that you might have life and that you may have it in abundance. Now, as Christians, we are fond of using uh, certain words. Words like anointing, like saved, or victory, or I'm burdened. But another word that we're fond of using, and it just kind of trips off the tongue, is the word blessed. Blessed. What a blessing that fellow was. How she blessed me. What a wonderful blessing we had last night. What a blessed time yesterday. But do we ever stop and think, what does it mean to be blessed? Why am I blessed? What is the purpose of God's blessing in my life? Since Jesus said that he's come to give us life in abundance, why abundance? Why not just, I've come to give you enough life for you to meet your needs, for you to be blessed. The fact that he says abundance means there is a surplus, there is an overflow. Surely he doesn't mean for us to keep the blessing to ourselves. Surely he means to give some of that blessing away. If you have an abundance of something, you are honor-bound to do something with it, to part with some of it, to share it, to give it away. Now, for many believers, sadly, that's the last thing they think about. Judging by their lack of care or involvement in the lives of other people, at least that's what they portray. And if we're not careful, we can slip into, as Christians, into the spirit of consumerism, the what's in it for me attitude, if we're not careful. You know, whenever you go to a shop, you're thinking, well, what am I going to get out of this? Can I get a bargain today for myself? <coughs> what's in it for me? Rarely do we ever stop and think, what's in it for this local shop owner or for this particular store? We're constantly thinking, what am I going to get out of it? What benefit is it going to be for me? Now, there are exceptions to that rule, of course. There are those who shop locally to help the local shopkeeper. There are businesses who will give a fair price for a good product to help the local economy. But by and large, generally, we think, what's in it for me? 
That's the attitude of this world, and sadly, it's the attitude of many, many believers in Christ. What am I going to get out of it? Now, when it comes to God's blessing, materially in our lives, spiritually in our lives, obviously it's for a higher purpose than just what's in it for me. How many of our prayers, I wonder, is just for me? <coughs> Whenever you pray, how many of your prayers are just for me? The Apostle James writes about this in chapter 4, verse 3. He says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. In other words, what's in it for me? Now, here's a fact, an undeniable fact. The least attended prayer meeting, not just in this church, but in any church in the land, is the prayer meeting. There is not one church in this whole country that can say, do you know what? Our prayer meeting is the most attended meeting of the whole week. I have never, ever heard that ever said by anybody because it's not the truth. Why is that? You say, well, prayer is difficult, it's hard, and it's a struggle, and I'm not very good at publicly praying, and, you know, and, 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 you know, and it's, it's maybe too long, or it's too short, or it's too loud, or it's too quiet, or same people praise all the time, pray the same prayers, and you make all kinds of excuses. I wonder, could it be, is because it's the most selfless meeting of all the meetings. Because every other meeting, subconsciously we're thinking, well, what am I going to get out of this? What will be said for me to help me? But when you come to a prayer meeting, you're not thinking that way. When you come to a prayer meeting, you're thinking, who am I going to pray for tonight? Who will I lift up before the throne of grace tonight? Who will I say, Lord, bless this person tonight? You see, you're thinking away from yourself. It's selfless. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with asking for God's blessing. In fact, we are already blessed abundantly. And if we would stop and think and count our blessings, as the wee song used to say, then it would surprise us what the Lord has actually done. So there's nothing wrong with asking for God's blessing, but we are already blessed Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. But even the material. Jesus is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Your heavenly Father knows that you need such things. So there's no question whether spiritually or materially, God has blessed us abundantly. But what is wrong is continually craving blessings without desiring to be a blessing. And that's the trap that we can fall into. 
People run around everywhere. They go everywhere. They're constantly seeking the latest thing. Touch me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. Minister to me, Lord. Speak to me, Lord. And I often wonder, well, what do they do with that blessing that they're asking for? What are they going to do with it? Are they just going to keep asking for more and more and more? But you've got to give it away. He's given us so much that you've got to give it away. You know the Jordan River, it teems with life. It flows into the Sea of Galilee. It's rich in blessing. It continues its purpose. Then it flows out of Galilee. It heads on down, down, down into the Sea of Galilee, into the Dead Sea. And there's a reason why it's called the Dead Sea, because it's dead. And when it goes into there, because it's got an inlet and no outlet, then it just turns into a swamp. The Jordan just dies in the Dead Sea. And we need to make sure our lives doesn't end up like the Jordan going into the Death Sea where there's just an inlet and no outlet. You'd be surprised how much God will bless you and give to you and help you and strengthen you and do for you if there's an outlet in your life. If your heart is, Lord, I want to be a blessing. Whatever you've given me, whatever you've done for me, Lord, I want to share that. I want to be a blessing. And so we can be a river or we can be a swamp. That's our choice. And so there's two levels of blessing. There's the lesser level. That's when we are blessed. But then there's the higher level. That's when we become a blessing. I hope that every single one of us, our heart's desire today is to be a blessing. God has conferred upon us his life, his spirit, the quickening of his spirit. The spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus is in us. And it's in us for a purpose. Now we have to give that away. We have to find an outlet where we can be a blessing. How? How can you be a blessing? Just as an individual believer in your life, in your world, apart from the house of God, but just where you are in your world, how can you be a blessing? Well, first of all, your testimony what God has done for you personally, the blessing that God has given you. I tell you, few things touch the heart of others, even the hardest of hearts, than a testimony of God's goodness in your life. Nobody can argue with that. Oftentimes we we fear to witness to somebody, well, what if they ask me an upper question or what if they say this or what if they... And I'm not, what if you just share your testimony? What if you just say, listen, do you know what God has done for me in my life? Let me tell you how I've changed over these years. And they can't argue with that. Not everyone will believe it. Not everyone will even want to hear it. But some will. And some will listen. And some will think about it. 
And the Holy Spirit can use that to convict somebody, to draw them to the Lord because of your testimony. In, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, he became the first martyr of the Christian church. In Acts 6 and 7, he's, he's in effect sharing his testimony, and he's preaching to the religious crowd who absolutely hate him and despise him. And he gives them a rough time when he's preaching. He really does. You get a flavor of it in verse 51. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed up into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What a testimony that is. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen. And as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Note this. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Young Saul of Tarsus, I believe with all of my heart, that was the moment his conscience was pricked. That was the moment when the seed was sown in his heart. Now, Saul of Tarsus, we know, next chapter, he went out from there, got letters from the priests, headed to Damascus to imprison Christians and to do them harm, to get them stoned to death. But on the way there, he met Christ. Saul, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Your conscience has been pricked and you've been fighting it. I believe Stephen's testimony, particularly when he said, Lord, do not lay this sin to their charge. That's the thing that moved this man. Yes, he resisted. Yes, he fought it until he met the Lord on the way to Damascus. You know, I was reading this just uh, this week, and it's interesting, I believe anyway, how that he never really uh, forgot this. In 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, let me just read this to you. Remember in 2 Timothy, this is coming right towards the very end of Paul's life. He's about to be executed by the Roman authorities in Rome. He had appealed unto Caesar. And now the time has come when sentence has been announced and he's about to die. 
In verse 14 of 2 Timothy 4 he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him for he has greatly resisted our words. And at my first defense no one stood with me but all forsook me. Imagine that. But then he said, almost the same words as Stephen, may it not be charged against them. You see, I believe that that was the thing, that testimony of Stephen, hearing those words, seeing his life, that's the moment when things begin to change. And he never forgot that. Years and years and years, he's an old man now. He's about to die. He still remembered that. Your testimony can make such a difference Greg Laurie is a very well-respected, very well-known preacher in America. He's got a great church in California, Harvest Church. Holds very large crusades in big football stadiums. Hundreds of thousands of people go. Tens of thousands of people give their life to Christ. And just last year, he wrote a book. It was called Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon. Now, for those of you who are of a certain age, you'll remember Steve McQueen. In the 1960s, he said Steve McQueen was, according to box office receipts, the biggest movie star of his generation and one of the coolest men ever to walk the planet. In his movies, he was always his own stuntman. Probably the greatest car chase in cinematic history was that car chase in his movie called Bullet down the streets of San Francisco where he was chasing two bodies in an American muscle car going at breakneck speed, and he insisted on always keeping the windows wound down so that the camera would make sure that the people saw it was him driving, not a stuntman. He says that McQueen was a complex, contradictory man who lived the same way as he drove his motorcycles and cars, fearlessly, ruthlessly, and at top speed. But after a lifetime of fast cars and women and drugs, McQueen took a surprising detour. And in his book, Laurie thoroughly interviews members of McQueen's family, his friends, his co-stars, associates, his widow, and pastor to tell the dramatic life change for the actor in the spring of 1973, six months before McQueen was diagnosed with terminal cancer. The book tells of how the testimony of others got him searching for the truth. The testimony of others. God, I'm searching for the truth. See, your testimony can start people on a journey, can get them thinking. And so he began tending church and finally made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ. It was reported that during his cancer treatment, he freely shared his testimony and wished that he had more time to tell his story. And when he died, and this was confirmed by his family, he was clutching a Bible that had been given to him by Billy Graham, whom he had asked to come and visit him. 
Mel Gibson said, when Greg Laurie shared the story of me with Steve McQueen finding faith and hope at the end of his life, I was deeply moved. Everyone knows Steve as an American icon, but few know of this chapter in his life, and I am glad Greg is shedding light on it. A testimony can have an amazing effect if you give it away. And every believer has got one. You may say, well, mine's not that exciting. But it may be the right one for that particular person. And God can use that to seed their hearts to make them think. Stuart Hamblin was another icon many years prior to this in Hollywood. He worked with famous film stars like at that time, like John Wayne and Gene Autry and Roy Rogers. He was a singing cowboy, singer-songwriter. Had record deals, had his own shows on television, was faded, wined and dined by the celebrities and the great and the good. But he was a hard drinker, he was a gambler, he was a womanizer. He just lived a very selfish, promiscuous life didn't care about anybody. His father, by the way, was a Methodist minister. <coughs> but he was invited to go to a Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles, and he went. And after that, sometime after that, he asked Billy Graham, could he meet privately with him, which he did. And there, Billy Graham led him to Christ. And immediately, he quit his contract with a beer company who was sponsoring him, endorsing him. And he stopped the gambling, and he stopped the drinking. But he hadn't fully come out in the industry, he hadn't fully made it known, he just stopped that. And he was talking to a friend one day, and the friend said to him, he said, by the way, he says, there's rumors going around the industry that uh, you've found God. He says, I have. I have, he says. And he says, it's really no secret what God has done for me, he can do for you. And his friend said, well, why didn't you make a song about it? Tell everybody. His friend, by the way, was John Wayne. And so he wrote a song in 10 minutes that became the most famous song he ever wrote. And the refrain of the song was, it is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. And it became so famous, that song, that the likes of Elvis Presley later on sang it. Mahalia Jackson and Jim Reeves and others. His testimony became a light in the darkness of Hollywood. He influenced so many people, even with that one song, changed the lives of people. And so you can be a great blessing simply by sharing your testimony. 
You can be a great blessing by your prayers. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or a righteous woman avails much. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. Robert Law said, prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done on heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. To get God's will done on earth, we need to pray. Jesus says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. George Mueller was, in his day, probably the most famous man of faith and prayer on the planet. Had incredible faith. Raised up many, many orphanages. Times were hard in those days, and there was times when he had not even a crust of bread for the next day to feed all those kids. And he would just simply take it before the Lord. He says, well, Lord, these are your children. This is your work. And over and over and over again, at the last moment many times, somebody would come up to the orphanage and said, God spoke to me and said, you need to get this. And they'd open the car, open the door, the van, or whatever it was, and there was loads of bread, more than they could eat, over and over again. Famous man of faith, famous man of prayer. He began to pray for five of his personal friends to get saved. And I'm sure that some of you are praying for family members and loved ones, children, grandchildren. So be encouraged. So he began to pray for his five friends, and after five years, one of them came to Christ. He prayed on, and after 10 years, two more of them came to Christ. He kept praying and praying every single day. And after 25 years, the fourth man came to the Savior. But there was still one on his list. And he prayed for him right up to the very day he died. And three months after Mueller died, the fifth one came to Jesus. And he had prayed for him for almost 52 years every single day. And God answered those prayers. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So your prayers can be a great blessing in the lives of your loved ones and your friends and your children and your grandchildren and your neighbors. If you just keep praying for somebody, it's amazing what God can do. It may take a while. So I hope it doesn't take 52 years. But what if it did? What if it did? But what if that prayer gets answered? What if that loved one comes to Christ? What a thrill that would be. You say, well, 
What if they die and go to the glory? Well, if they come to Christ, you'll meet them. <laughs> that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? My dear mother prayed for her brothers. And I, I led two of them to the Lord. And the last one I led to the Lord, just before he died, my mother, because of her dementia, she didn't even know she had a brother. But all of those years, and I don't know how many years, she prayed for her brother James. James and her was the closest of all of her family. And she prayed faithfully for James. And in a nursing home when he was an old, old man, day or two days before he died, I led him to Christ. And after that, I thought, Mom, you don't even know. I can't even tell you. You don't even know you've got a brother. But the Lord answered that prayer. And today they're together. Sometimes when believers get old, they're housebound, or physically they just cannot do what they used to be able to do in the kingdom of God, then there's a tendency that they feel redundant. The day's over, it's done. They're no longer involved in the practical needs of the church that they maybe served for years. And they conclude that their ministry days are behind them. But prayer is the one area that never stops them being a blessing to the body of Christ and to unbelievers. As long as they've got breath and understanding to pray, that's a great blessing. How many of you, it was your grandmother, your grandfather that prayed for your family? Hmm? When they were old and gray, I better not say that, I'm white as a ghost myself. And they're old, and they're white, and they're infirm, and they're shut in, and they can't even go to church anymore. And maybe their eyesight's not good, and they can't read the Bible anymore. But they can pray. And as long as they can pray, they're going to be a great blessing to the kingdom of God. The third way, and we'll move quickly, is by your faithful giving. There are men, women, boys, and girls all over the world and in this country that we live in, and they're forever changed because what you gave made a difference. You'll probably never get to meet them. You'll probably never get even to know their names. They'll probably never get to meet you and certainly won't probably know your name. But the one thing they do know is that somebody somewhere was kind, thoughtful, compassionate, and they gave, and it changed my life. And that's all they need to know. That somebody was you. You were that blessing. You were the one who gave and made a difference in that life. Wally Criswell was the famous 
pastor of the famous First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. I think 50 years or something he served there. And he tells a story whenever he was uh, reading from Mark, sorry, from Matthew chapter 6. But laying up treasures in heaven, not on earth. And he always ended his message with this story. He says, John Raskus put $300 in a collection plate when it was passed. And he said softly, I'll see you in heaven. Those around him said, old John is getting senile. He says he's going to see that $300 in heaven. He may meet his maker over there, but he certainly won't meet his money. Now the church treasurer used some of that $300 to pay the electric bill. He gave some to the preacher to buy gasoline. Some went to ministerial students. Some saw the mission field. And early one morning, John Raskus died in sleep. And on that first Lord's Day in glory, he walked down the golden streets. And a young fellow came up and said, Thank you, Brother John. I was cold and lonely. It was a dark night. I saw the lights of the church. And just to get out of the dark, I went in. And while I was there, the darkness left my soul, and I found Jesus. Another came to him said, the preacher came to the filling station, and as I filled his tank, he told me about Jesus, and I gave my heart to the Lord. Next, John met a throng of people who said, I want to thank you for those students that helped. They preached the gospel to my family, and we found the Lord. He next met those of strange tongues who said, thank you, brother, for sending us the gospel across the seas. Finally, old John came to Hallelujah Square, and turning to an angel, he said, I feel sorry for you angels. You've never known what it is to be saved by the blood of Jesus, my Lord. And then he mused for a moment, and then he added, and you don't know what it is to transform the possessions of earth into the treasures of heaven. <laughs> Sir, the angel replied, all we do is watch it from the streets of glory. <laughs> Creswell tells another little story. I think this is good. The man was asked, what did you do yesterday? He replied, yesterday I taught a class in the Criswell College. On Tuesday I was down in the Rio Grande Valley working in vacation Bible school. On Wednesday I was operating our Baptist hospital in Nigeria. On Thursday I was teaching the Word of God in the Amazon jungle. On Friday I was building a church in the Philippines. On Saturday I was preaching on the streets of the Japanese capital of Tokyo. The friend replied, man, even this jet age, you cannot do that. The fellow said, but I do it every day. I dedicate to the Lord a gift in the First Baptist Church of Dallas, and it goes all over the earth doing good for Jesus. <laughs> you see, your giving can make a tremendous difference. Think of Claire and Mark in the Philippines. Think of what has been done over there. By the way, the ministry now will be 15 years in July. Helping Hands Healing Arts, 15 years this July. She was there three years before that, of course. Think of Rachel Lappin here in the Mercy Ships. Think of the fantastic work that Rachel does, helping those kids, saving those lives. Think of LMI, Logos Ministry International, and we Becky Watson got all over this country, north and south, in those schools, you know, teaching, sharing our testimony, sharing the Word of God. It's wonderful, isn't it? LMI's teaching ministry goes all over the world. 
They had Bible students all over the world doing correspondence courses. Think of Richard Gunning and his campaigns in Africa, India, Russia, Indonesia, all over the world. Hundreds of thousands of people over these years get saved. Over 850 churches in Kenya alone has been built up in areas that nobody goes to, reaching the unreached. Think of Pastor Alexander in the Ukraine. By the way, Pastor Alexander, because they're in the West and they go to the East to help those in the war zone, very, very dangerous place to go. And recently he was given a medal for the work among the people of Eastern Ukraine. Think of International Christian Embassy of Jerusalem, Brian Sylvester, and all the work they do helping the Jewish people. All of these ministries, you help by your financial support. All of them and more. You are sowing into those ministries by what we get from this church, MPC. What a difference it's making. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You see, when you receive, you get the blessing. When you receive, you get that. But when you give, others get the blessing. Other needs are met. Other people are touched. That's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Much more is done with what you give than what you receive. Now we have to receive. If we can't receive, we can't give. But he's already given us abundantly. He's already blessed us beyond measure. And finally, by your encouragement of others. It may be a text, it may be a phone call, it may be a visit, maybe a letter sent, maybe a small gift given, maybe an arm around, maybe a word in season. But somewhere along the way, by that encouragement, you have just become a blessing to that person. <laughs> a blessing to that person. And so today, you are a blessing. God has made you a blessing. So let's bless others with the blessing. Amen? And as long as we keep blessing others with the blessing, God will keep pouring it in if we keep sending it out. As long as we have an inlet and an outlet, as long as we're a river, not a swamp, then it will keep flowing out and touching the lives of others, even within our wee community. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.